Welcome to Top of the Game with Javier Sade, where we talk to amazing people that are shaping the world. These lightning round talks explore what makes remarkable leaders tick. Thinkers and doers pushing humankind forward and at the top of their games. Impactful insights, global perspectives, valuable wisdom you can use every day in your life and work. This is Top of the Game. Enjoy today's episode. Here's Javier. Born and raised in Oregon, Lisa Mensa joined the Oregon Community Foundation in September of 2022. This follows an illustrious career. She's worked on rural poverty with the Ford Foundation and served as Undersecretary for Rural Development in the Department of Agriculture, where she managed a $215 billion loan portfolio. She also ran the Opportunity Finance Network, the largest network of treasury-licensed community development financial institutions. She currently serves on the boards of EcoTrust, Feeding America, the Fidelity Bank of Ghana, and the Heritage and Cultural Society of Africa. She's also a member of the advisory committees of Goldman Sachs, One Million Black Women, and the Gaia Impact Fund. Lisa is widely considered an expert on access to capital in low wealth communities and has frequently testified before Congress on the subject. Forbes recognized Ms. Mensa as one of the five women who safeguarded America's small businesses throughout the pandemic. She holds an MA from Johns Hopkins and a BA from Harvard. Lisa, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Javier. There's just so many things to talk about with you. And probably a good way to start is to talk about your origin, your beginnings. Where were you born? Where were you raised? Where do you live now? I was born in Portland, Oregon. I spent a few years in Ghana as a child in my father's country, came back to Oregon, which is where I was until I left for college. And I'm back in Oregon after more than 40 years on the East Coast. So that's a fun question now. A lot of people say the West Coast is the best coast. And <laughs> I guess it took you 40 years to figure it out, but that's okay. <laughs> you built a career around purpose and you have been operating at the top of the game, dispensing with the power of that purpose. I want to talk about a little bit about the path that got you there, including OFN, which does all kinds of things for the country. And maybe you can describe a little bit of that. I think I've been on a path my whole life to bridge communities of wealth and communities of poverty. I think it starts with being this Ghanaian American. I always knew there were people that had fewer financial resources and who I just knew would soar with the right money. And I thought my career was going to be in, uh, and my purpose was going to be something international. And it's all been in the US. I met a professor my senior year of Harvard who told me, look at the coping economy. Where is the real, where are people coping? What's the real game going on? And I've been really drawn to the grassroots of an economy, often quite gendered. It's often where the women focus and it's often where women's businesses are. And I've been trying to question why do the resources get stuck? I got to work at one of the world's largest banks. I was trained at City. No one thought that I would go into banking. And I didn't stay long, but it, I learned all the tools of money. And I ended up being at Ford Foundation and getting to, to meet the giants of microfinance. But all along, I've been trying to question, where is money made? How does it move? Where does it go? How can we unstick it from where markets just leave us and they leave so many people behind? 
you asked about Opportunity Finance Network. Those are all of the community lenders. I loved finding common cause with the lenders who want to push money into the places that it's needed. I think it's interesting I'm back in philanthropy now because it's a different kind of money. I, I still feel surrounded by the same questions and the same passion that it is possible. And perhaps that's my biggest sense of urgency that in a wealthy country like America, there's just so much we can do. There's so many systems that do work. Unsticking is a great <laughs> is a great word. No, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay with it. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna stay with it. So unsticking resources, unsticking the quarters of power, unsticking all these things have inertia. Part of what you've been able to thread, mm. what have you found is something that universally everyone understands in this? And I don't want to be, lead the witness, but in my in my short stint in the federal government, it opened my eyes to the fact that bridging need and bridging wealth actually creates wealth. So you can make an economic argument, you can make a social good argument, I want to hear your argument for the unsticking. Ah, this is the fun of it all. In simple terms, it's innate in us to help us to, to, to want people to thrive. Every mother, every dad, every teacher wants the people they touch to thrive. And to me, part of thriving is grappling with the resources you need to get on with your life. And to me, that's usually money. It's usually got a financial component, unlocks a lot of other things. I have had the chance, Javier, along with you, to see big flows of funds, both in the private sector and in the public sector. I got to run a $215 billion portfolio at the Department of Agriculture. It was powerful to see how resources put in the right hands can move communities and people forward. I guess I've just seen it work. I've seen people start businesses. I've seen broadband change a community. I've seen water and wastewater uh, installations change possibilities. I've seen housing change possibilities. And so when you see it and you realize it's this kind of practical stuff, money and finance isn't that complicated, you know? <laughs> we know these tools. If we want to thrive, if we want our families, our neighbors, our community, our country to thrive, we just, we, we have to allow the practical tools to flow. And I've been I've been able to steer some of those practical tools and connect them with people who who are desperate to help others thrive. There's so much to unpack there, but I'm still stuck in the first little segment we just <laughs> uh, spoke about. And you you use a phrase I never heard before: the coping economy. Yeah, the coping economy. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. It was. It was a way, you know, if you, I, I actually hated studying economics, sorry for all the economics professors out there. And I ended up doing it at both undergrad and master's levels. But coping was a better way to say the microeconomic drivers of an economy to me. Yep. It was a way to say, there is stuff we don't see that's very hard to pick up. Maybe you spend time in the survey of consumer finance or you look at more granular. But the coping economy said, who's doing the caring? Who's feeding people? Who's getting people to school? Who's financing the daily life? This was, I was in school before there was a microfinance movement of any size. And so it was kind of like, what's not showing up? We now have more sophisticated mm -hmm. words, informal economy, yep. you know, inclusive banking, all these things that are. But I thought coping described to me, it described my aunties in rural Ghana 
who made livelihoods work for generations of family. The big systems often missed what was going on. And I love that. If I looked there, I would find closer to what I wanted to help resolve, where I wanted to lean in on. Yeah, big systems are designed for efficiency, not for exceptions. But it turns out that the coping economy, well, not to bring up COVID because COVID, oh my God. But COVID kind of, in the beginning, I don't know if you remember the essential worker discussion. And a lot of them were women. A lot of them were people of color. And that intersection, you happen to be both of color and a woman from a problem solving perspective, is that a lens we should be using to deal with this coping economy? We are never going to go backwards. COVID revealed, as you said, the essential workers. It also revealed who got missed by the big system. Mm-hmm. And gender and race had a lot to do with who got missed. And so I don't think we can ever go backwards on that. It was a big reveal for us as an economy. I I think the lens is going to persist. And it should. We should have intentionality about this. Not for some romantic reason, but because that's the real picture. What we learned is that half of us could sit home and Zoom calls and the other half had to get out and feed people. And, you know, what we learn about with gender and race is that the the race of life uh, mm-hmm. is not, it doesn't start at the same place. We don't all have the same experiences. We can't go backwards. That's actually a good lens to use. The car you rented does not have reverse. You can, <laughs> you can push it, but it, 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 won't, it won't go into gear in reverse. Talk a little bit about the Oregon Community Foundation and what it does. I've got one of those juicy, juicy jobs. I get to lead a foundation for my day job. I get to lead a foundation that has over $3 billion of resources, and that's here for the whole state. We're just celebrating its 50 years, so it's been around. It started with $3,000, and it's now amassed over $3 billion. We've invested for the long haul. We've invested in all 36 counties. I'm leading a foundation that gets up every morning to ask, how can we help our whole state thrive? 4,000 donors have put their money with us. We've made over $2 billion of grants in the 50 years we've been around. The joy of it is how diverse it is. It's so many different fields that we fund in. In all of these corners, I was way out in Eastern Oregon last week, and I wake up in Portland, which is our biggest city. And so part of what it means to be at an institution that's been 50 years old and that has garnered a lot of respect is that there's room for us to engage in a nonpartisan and in a practical way that this state needs now. That's Mm -hmm. what's fun about this job. I love the sound of nonpartisan, but maybe that's kind of... That's kind of a figment of our, of our imagination. I think it everything... doesn't exist, but you know what's nonpartisan? People want to drink clean water. That does not seem partisan to yeah, me. Yeah, clean water uh, is a... We would like to have enough houses for our elderly and our young people to get started. So yeah. there really are these issues that transcend. We're really proud of having the Shakespeare Festival. And we're proud of new immigrant communities that are finally making a home and changing both the art and the education. And, you know, so I I do feel that there's a much bigger canvas. Our news really reveals to us 
I agree with you. I agree with you a lot. In this bridging the wealth, well-resourced with where the gaps are, there's no better place to do it in a foundation because for you to be able to bridge that gap, you actually got to make money. I usually like to end these shows, Lisa, with kind of a question I would ask you at a bar or <laughs> at a beach. If I'm getting to know you, you're stuck in a deserted island <laughs> and your phone crapped out. It only has the ability to keep one artist. Mm. Wow. Okay. That's kind of a hard question. I'm going to reach deep back to a person that was a healing artist for me. Milton Nascimento, Brazil. It's that mix of African and jazz and depth and soul and a beautiful voice. I love it. <laughs> uh, it is someone I look up very quickly. I thought I knew Brazilian music. And I don't even speak Portuguese, so that's probably I could <laughs> spend a lot of a lot of time figuring it out. So, <laughs> well, you got a new project now. So, Lisa, you don't know how much I appreciate you coming by. Oh. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Great to talk. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. For information and links about today's guests, check out the show notes and visit Top of the Game dashthepod.com. Your host, Javier Sade, the show Top of the Game. Thanks for listening.